you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski. Rachel Mason is our guest today on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski, and I only wish I could be as cool as Rachel Mason. As if being the head of Advanced Improv at Second City in Chicago, having run the training center for I.O. Chicago, improvising with the Second City Improv All-Stars, The Boys, a former member of Baby Wants Candy and having performed on Second City tour boats isn't accomplishment enough. She travels around the world performing with Susan Messing. She does that too. She's an accomplished teacher, mentor, and constant source of inspiration. I'm not screwing around here when I tell you how awesome she and this podcast are. Stick around for Rachel's addition to our newly named podcast segment, Not My Finest Hour. This episode was recorded at Chicago's wonderful Kobe Cafe. Enjoy. So when I, when I, before I interview people, I always think, like, what is the thing that I think most about them, right? So what is the thing that, that rises to that? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, you've got it, Susan Messing's got it, Joe Bill's got it, I've got it, and it's the thing where, you, it's, it's a passionate fucking go balls out motherfucking passionate thing and without without apology absolutely why apologize they already bought a ticket that's what I feel too (laughs) I feel like you already bought the fucking ticket I love that (laughs) yes yes although I was always trained you do that in rehearsal too so then when it's crush time you it's not a mode shift Mm mm-hmm Right? Like attack. It doesn't matter if it's for two people in rehearsal or in Did front you say of attack? Attack. Attack. Mm-hmm. Right. Attack. I tend to teach that way and perform that way. I know. I can tell. Mm-hmm. And I've only played with you once. Once? Right? I think so. Maybe a set a with million you, Joe years and ago. I. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Attack. Mm-hmm. I love the attack thing. Because I talk about the attack thing. And that was a specific kind of attack. That was under the auspices of dramatic improv. Meaning... Well, I found when, when we're doing dramatic improv, when you call it dramatic improv, when you tell people they don't have to be funny, they're very fucking funny. They're funny and. They're funny in all kinds of levels when they're not worried about being funny. But I do think that like the dramatic choice is a little different from the comedic choice. So in that show, we got to play like... You, Joe, and I. Yes. We got to be like... We got to play the game of dramatic. And because we're funny, it was funny. (laughs) And so it's the game of dramatic. I I think I know what that is, but what do you think that is? So in in the comedic scene, if you came to me, Dad, I crashed the car. Right. In the comedic scene, I'd be like, oh, what are we going to tell your mom? (laughs) Right? And then mom comes in like, where's the baby? Right? In the dramatic scene, if you go, Dad, I crashed the car, I say I'm very disappointed in you, son. Right. Right. And then let's deal with that. Yes. It's the fearlessness of it doesn't matter I'm not concerned about where this is going to go exactly I'm con- I'm I'm giving attention to where it is that we are mm-hmm. and it's the fearlessness so to when, not rush off to something that's imaginary exactly. to just deal with whatever this imaginary is <laughs> and is it so I love it I love it I love it I love it and there's not a, do you we tend I tend to get so inside baseball here but I don't fucking care. Um, <laughs> Scene work makes right. it dream work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was talking to somebody like, I think there's like you, you go through this about being in the moment. Do, do you find yourself an aberration? An aberration. Do you find, do you find what you're teaching to be different than what other people are teaching? 
I can only teach through my filter, and my filter was an English major, so words were already very important to me. And then I was an actor before I was ever a comedian. So words and presence were all I had to deal with. Like, I had somebody else's words, so when I finally got the pleasure of my own words, I was already a vested actor, and I listened to make words important. You know, like, I hear pronouns capital, and I see your emotion in italics, but that's, like, my weird synesthesia as an English major coming to this art form. It is a synesthesia. It is that thing right? where you start seeing things. You, you, we can't, we can't. We don't have to see things the way see things, listen to things, hear things, like those things. I get so it's a synesthesia that also includes the way we hear things, but yes. the feeling that I get. Yes. Like the fact that I know that there's somebody behind me now. Yes. And what flavor is that? Because yes. it really is it is and our our success is based on that synesthesia. Absolutely. And Absolutely. when I want to say success, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the, financial. The, no, the matrix to hang your scene on. Well, whatever. Don't even start the matrix. <laughs> the moment somebody says matrix, I mean frame. I'm no, I mean framework. I, I mean, I mean pattern. I mean, and whatever clearly. we decide the game is. Right. Exactly. There's a million names for the same shit. Right. And it's essentially this: Do you know you're feeling the feeling the moment you're feeling the feeling? Do yes. you know that you're feeling the feeling the moment you're feeling the feeling? Or are you concerned about what the audience is fucking thinking? And I'm going to go back to what Rachel Mason once said, which is like they've already bought their fucking ticket. <laughs> yes. And coming to this through straight drama, like, pauses thrill me. They give me a chance to behave. To behave, like a human. Yes. And that's something I find that your average comedy actor wants to fill that void. And I trust that the void is filled. Right. It's filled with itself. Mm -hmm. The moment is a red solo cup filled with itself. Stop bringing drink to the solo cup. I did viewpoints with Ann Bogard. Oh, I fucking love so, it. Are you kidding me? Right? That's a major at part Skidmore of Skidmore College. I she, hate you. She, I got to do things with her at Skidmore. Right. So, like, silence is a sound in her, it's, it's, in her gig. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, um, hold on, hold on. Because I teach that, too. It's to be in duration of shape. Mm -hmm. And just to live in that duration of shape. Like mm -hmm. you and I are in duration of shape. It's not a pause. We're not not doing something. We're doing something. Mm -hmm. We're in duration of shape. And that's why I love the viewpoints. That's why TJ and Dave don't take a suggestion. This scene sounds different from this scene. Clearly. Mm -hmm. Clearly. And fuck your suggestion. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just feel like most people take suggestions. So if I... Here's, this is what... See, De I had Dell for the suggestion. De and as an English major, Dell taught plus. you to like blow it apart. Right. Like Do it's not a word. It's a world. No. It's an opportunity. It's what it's not. Right. Like think, that as a nerd, I love being like, ooh, how many different ways can I use this suggestion? That's fucking exactly it. And how many different ways can we get into that scene? Yes. Because yes, the words are important. And yes, our spatial relationship is important. And yes, your gesture is important. And yes, our shape is important. Yes. Like all those different things. That's the great thing about viewpoints is it makes it so that we don't if we don't want to we don't take it yes the suggestion yes and here's what I think about suggestions mm -hmm. most people are dealing with most people are in relationship to the question not the get yes so if I say oh, to yes. you can what makes you <laughs> angry about your grandmother uh -huh. um, she uh, she makes too much food so what's the emotional content of the next scene angry it's not about food. And I'm we angry at that person for being angry at their grandmother about food. <laughs> right. You right. do a terrible scene about that person. Right. Well, that's a for gift For looking right a there. gift horse in the mouth. Exactly. 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 <laughs> Your grandmother's actually a Trojan gift a horse hero. of love. She's a Trojan gift horse of love. A Trojan gift horse of love. 
That's a that's a fucking good book title. <laughs> the Trojan Gift Horse. Or a Herald Team. <laughs> oh my God! Please, that would really be a good name because it's like we are not doing the Trojan Gift Horse of Love scene. You're doing the Hans Christian Yes Anderson scene. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! No, but to look, to look at people and to watch them. Oh, look at that outfit! Look at that. Is that fucking phenomenal? Oh my God! So red pants. Um, a matching on the shoes. Oh God! Oh, I just want to take a picture of it. I take a picture of it so people will go. We'll know what it is we're talking about, my dear. All right, that was really good. Anyway, talk about kinesthetic response. There's a kinesthetic response. What the fuck just happened? Fabulous. Um, Fabulous uh, appropriation. Oh my God, it's just so substantial and beautiful. And this woman wakes up in the morning and she goes, "Mm, put that on. I bet she also says this, I have nothing to wear. (laughs) First thing out of my girlfriend's mouth in the morning is, um, what am I going to wear? It's like, what? No man wakes up and says, what am I going to wear? That's sexist. I disagree. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. My husband, I'll try on five things. Oh, I love it. And I'm already in the car. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. Yes, it is sexist. <laughs> that was very sexist to me to say. Um, but in my experience, when I was married, my wife would get up every morning. No, the night before, she'd lay out her clothes. Oh, I've done that if it's important. Absolutely. Yeah. But important would be tomorrow. That's important. Like every day, Katie would lay out oh, her clothes. No. Yeah. Does she have an important job? Mm, like where people were doing this to her all day? Mm, I, she, she, well, I don't know. Because that's a thing. Yeah, that is a thing. I don't mm. think anybody was judging her, but I also felt like she dressed really nicely. She really dressed nicely. So, I'm that's thr- a fun I'm thing. thrilled to get a shower. <laughs> shower. Right. You know, when I, whenever I think about the, um, whenever I think about like being in a shower because I do think about being in a shower it's one of those things where you go I'm taking a shower now this is what's <laughs> happening right now this is about being in the moment I'm taking a shower and I think they say what? you do a lot of creative thinking in the shower well there's that prone. too but I also look at you actually like, think about showering I think about anything but showering while it's I'm showering. not thinking about showering it's just knowing that I'm showering I'm not thinking about showering I'm mindful to the fact that I'm showering like that's it it's not going how does this work it's more along the lines of the water's coming down on me and it gives me an opportunity just to not have those other fucking things no. going on in my life. It is my spa vacation because right. I have a child. Right? Like, <laughs> Although don't... the door gets kicked open frequently. My idea of heaven is a closed bathroom door. <laughs> my girlfriend locks the door, even in our, ha- our apartment. Like, she will Good go in. for her. We had to take it off because our son locked himself in there. Oh. So there's no more bathroom door lock. I think that if I took... No, my son did not lock himself in there. The cable man who was taking the poop in there locked himself in there. Oh, no. <laughs> a poop oh, story. No. The cable man locked himself in there. My landlord had to cut him out. And it was, he was trapped in there with his own funk. That's what I was thinking. Funk. The first thing I'm thinking is that And he poor got man, real nervous and sweaty. Of course he did. It's horrible. Of course he did. Oh. <laughs> oh. And that's why we're like, oh, it's a good thing it's off. Now we know our son cannot lock himself in there because the poor cable man... Deuced it up. <laughs> and he deuced it up. And got he, trapped in there. Right. With his own funk, which isn't bad. It's Ugh. not like deucing it up no, with somebody no, else's No, no, it's funk. like the moving guy. They take terrible dumps in your apartment. Of course they do. Oh, the moving guy takes terrible dumps in your You've apartment? You've never had a moving guy take a dump in your apartment? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's atomic. They wow. all eat coffee and donuts and now, cigarettes. and. I think that you're being jobbist. If I was being... <laughs> 
sexist. You're being jobbist. <laughs> moving guys in a truck all day, eating on the oh, go. I get it. He's going to take a terrible dump in your apartment. <laughs> yes, he is. He's already yes, he is. sweaty and tense. Right, right, right. right. We got, um, Laura and I got the squatty potty. Susan is a huge fan. Susan Messing is a huge fan. Have you tried it? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Here's the thing. At first you go, what a stupid fucking thing. And then after a while you go, wait a minute. Everyone should have one. Well, it's natural. It's the way we used to poop, right? I know. It's like, you know, yeah. like animals in the woods. Like animals in the woods. I had a girlfriend who posted, uh, any high heels turn any toilet into a squatty potty. So I think it was really true. Put on some fucking really sick heels and right. go take a shit. Oh, you know what? That really changes it because now I, I was thinking every place should have a squatty potty, but the, the onus is on me to bring my high heels. One of my girlfriends had a weird boyfriend who would squat on the toilet, like up on the toilet, like his feet on the seat. Uh huh. No. He would proclaim no, it was natural. Got it. Got it. No, thank you. No, monkey, thank you, monkey man. Here's another thing. <laughs> If I'm on the seat and I, th- there's no missing. Exactly. If if I'm sitting <laughs> direct, on the seat, direct right. line. If I'm squatting, <laughs> you don't know where that stuff's gonna go. You have a child. You know what that's like. Oh my god! It's my. Don't touch anything in my bathroom. Don't touch it. It's probably been in the toilet. My kid is in a science experiment phase. <laughs> I was brushing my teeth the other day, and I was no, like, no. how many times has this been in the toilet? I don't know. I'm not no. going to think about it. No, 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 My no. husband caught him squeezing all the toothpaste and shampoo into the toilet the other day. Everything's okay. been in the toilet at this point, I'm sure. You didn't scoop it on and then put it back in the tube. I have No, no we're, we are usually, like, unclean forever, throw it away. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unclean forever, throw it away. Uh-huh. Oh, unclean forever, throw it away. Uh-huh. I don't understand. Okay, so I was at... I was at a theater in San Diego, and it was at a yoga studio. And the toilets were, so they, so you open the door and they they have a, a sheet. They have like a like a shower curtain that hangs over the toilet, so that if you accidentally open the door, you don't watch somebody, you don't see somebody poop. Great. Here's the thing. Fuck that sheet. That's the grossest fucking thing. It's just one. You know what I mean? It's exactly. Right. There's some horrifying statistic that, like, if you don't flush your toilet with the lid closed, like, you're oh. you're gonna get sick. <laughs> I never thought you're about that. You're going to get sick. I never uh-huh. thought about that. And if you, you know, if I'm one of those crazy people who has like a cover on their toothbrush, uh-huh. because even with the toilet closed, I'm still not oh, oh, sure oh, it's yeah, not shooting no, everywhere. No, no, no. Nothing, nothing should be next to the toilet. I was my son and I kept getting sick. It was when we realized like hand washing and doorknob cleaning had to become a priority. He basically said that if you put an apple everywhere you put your phone, you'd never eat it. Like, you know, we take a second put it on the floor, like Right. Like think about how like somebody stepped on the floor, stepped on dog shit, you put your phone there, you had no idea. Sitting on the airport floor, put your hand Oh like, god you, no. Right, exactly. So um, they said if you never wanted to get sick again, you'll flush with your toilet closed and never and I know it's hard, bring your phone into the bathroom. No. You. No. Never. No. Mm-hmm. I well you travel a lot. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yes. I see people bringing coffee into the into toilet. Into the bathroom. <laughs> How much traveling do you do? Um, well, first off, what, what's your job now? I, I have lots of different jobs that compile into basically a full-time job at Second City. Uh-huh. I direct, write, perform, teach, and I'm a department head. So how do you find, how do you find 
the time to travel. They, so they're, they're accommodating. I, I travel with uh, Second City Works, their BizCo, doing like corporate training and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I travel with Susan Messing as part of the boys. God damn it. Right, the two of us, we're, we have a little European tour this summer we're going on. Where are you going? Sweden, the UK again, Who books and it? Ireland. Who books it? They usually come looking for Susan and right? then they find me, right? which is wonderful. Right, right, right. Where are you going in, in Ireland? Uh, Neil. Oh, God. Oh, Neil, Neil. I know Neil. Yes. Yeah. Neil set Bernard. us up there. Yeah. And then... In Dublin or out, like... In Dublin. Got it. And then we're going back to see Jules and those guys at the nursery. Oh, yeah, right. The May Days are here right now. What's actually. that? The May Days are here in town right now. Katie Shoot is doing oh. Messing with a Friend tonight. And the May Days are opening. Mm-hmm. Fuck. And the May Days are... Uh, the British troupe yeah. over there from Brighton. Right. And then we're doing Improv Gothenburg, Gothenburg in Sweden. Right? Mm-hmm. Look at our life. Right? We talk about it all the time. Susan and I just got, uh, we both just got TSA pre-check and now we're doing global entry. We no, travel I, a lot. Oh no, I get it. Mm-hmm. I got the global entry. I love I love it. And if you don't do it, you're a dope. Agreed. Why do you want to fucking wait in those lines? Custom lines, the worst. Especially here at O'Hare. I heard it's horrible. Oh my God. I would have missed a flight the other day if not for my TSA pre-check. And lately, I've been doing my own sort of, like, use improv for good. Okay. That's been very rewarding. I've been working in the healthcare industry. Okay, uh huh. Like, I did a workshop the other day with women who work in the infectious disease uh, pediatric ward. Like, women who suffer from compassion fatigue. What's that? From holding AIDS babies. Oh. And helping them through improv to, like, deal with emotion. I've been working with veterans. What's um, the, what's improv the, for PTSD to help them tell stories better. Okay, what's and that the, makes every shitty improv class I ever taught to somebody who was like, teach me how to be funny, wor- worth it. What's the common denominator between approaching the people that are holding AIDS babies and the vets with PTSD? The fundamental is becoming others focused, listening, listening to understand, and being others focused. I feel sad. This baby deserves compassion. Lovely. I feel sad this baby deserves compassion. Mm-hmm. So it's em- empathy. Yes, like you're like in a regular improv scene. Right. Here's what I want to do, but where's the scene? Right. So it is listening enough to be others focused. Right. Is listening where it all to be starts. Others focus. That's right. where all good improv starts. Right. And then you bend it to the corporate need, or use it to make great scene work and comedy. You bend it to the corporate need. Which is all listen better and stop forcing your agenda. Right. Smile. I, don't be an asshole to your secretary. Don't be an asshole. Right. Again, I go back to this thing of like. Can you be human? Are you po- is it possible for you to be human right now? Well, I mean, I, I fundamentally think that anyone who seeks anonymous validation from people in the dark is automatically, like, different and special. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, different from your average human. Right. And humans, at least humans who've been in the workforce for a long time, tend to have their humanity beaten out of them. So we're fighting the same fight on both fronts. Like, can you, can you be human? Can you represent human theatrically, and can you be a, a genuine human in real life? Right. Yeah. And now I'll shoot myself in the face. <laughs> and you know what? That would make me sad, but I'm giving you love while you're doing that. I think I did it, right? Such an improv nerd, and I love you. <laughs> I'm listening. Um, no, that idea of like stepping away from all of it. This is, this is the biggest challenge that I, that, I, that I have, and it's really fun to play with. And it's the idea of 
this thing that you call yourself that you wake up every morning and you remind yourself because you put on your self costume mm -hmm. that is yourself mm -hmm. can you walk into this sacred space Martin Demont can you walk into this sacred space mm -hmm. and leave the self outside of this space mm -hmm. because really and it's and it's it's talking to people about this self is just a made up thing that you have and for a moment can you in the dark and you're on stage not be you I'm me I, I believe what Susan says I'm me all day and it's quite lovely to try somebody else on on stage I'm, I'm what I would characterize as a character improviser you will rarely hear this voice coming out of me on stage I mean it's always you but I would love to bend my spine and be people and filter what I know to suit the need of the scene. At that moment. I say playing to the height of your intelligence means your characters know everything you do. You just get to choose whether they share it or not. That's why I don't like a farce. I have issues with farce. Oh it just my feels God. like... It depends. Well, it depends. But I've done a farce and it's, I feel like... Why should the... And this is just me. Why should the audience know more about the characters on stage than I know? Dell would say they always do because they're observing it. Of course they do, but but that that doesn't preclude my knowledge of because for me to pretend that you don't know what it is that's going on mm -hmm. is a governor that I have to that's put comedy, on. That's comedy, but that's comedy. I understand. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I also look at like door slamming, like and everybody. I'm looking at people. So farce is exaggerated, improbable. Right? That idea of playing improbable. Playing improbable to the height of your intelligence. Got it. Got it. Right? I guess it's that. I guess that that's what I need to do, is to look at that and focus go, okay, this is what we're doing. No. What? No. What? No. Right? I mean, like, right? out. Just out. Yeah. There's a woman that we're looking at right now whose just back of her shirt is open and her bra is just, it's like, it looks like she's looking in the in the in a mirror at her house, trying to decide what what accessory to put on. And honey, can you zip me up? Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Right. No, that's exactly like what's going on. It's not even a cute bra. No, it's grandma oh. who's got. It's grandma. <laughs> it's grandma, but she's a young woman. Oh no! Oh no! Lord. Oh no. That means we got a third worse things happen in threes. We have a third <laughs> it's about one. To happen. We have a third Something's one. gonna happen. Is your fly open? And are you okay? To What's look happening? At, I, and those those are the moments that I feel like I'm not in LA because I don't think that would go. That wouldn't go in LA. Or it would go in she LA. Had a hot bra on. Right, exactly. Right. And a tattoo. Oh, here's the thing. No back tattoo. Oh yeah. That is the problem. Right. Like like I will take Japanese that. characters. Exactly. Or a, or a sinking ship and sinking Right. <laughs> Because right. I'm gonna you, do it, LA, like what, Phoenix. What's your feeling about neck tattoos? Neck tattoos? Right. What if your son got a neck tattoo or a face tattoo? That is a loaded question because my brother is a relatively well-known tattoo artist. Oh, awesome! So we're all tattooed. An my I, my husband has a sleeve that my brother did. I have four that my brother did. Uh -huh. What about neck? So I want one of these here on my arm, and my brother said, you're not Angelina Jolie, they won't pay to cover them up yet. Oh. So in my field, like they're gonna cast a woman who doesn't have them, so I'm fine. Like, would I tattoo my neck? Yes. Would I, right now, trying to get jobs as like a mom selling paper towels, <laughs> knowing they're not gonna cover them up? Not even for a second. Nope. And I think that that's my, my issue, is I look at you and I think, you have made a decision that that is for the rest <laughs> oh, of your life. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I look uh -huh. and you go. I think 
I, Although I feel the like, technology to cover them up is not bad. I understand, but then you got to do all that. And they're not going to pay for that. No. Mm. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. And I'm not cool enough yet to be like the Betty Page suicide girl mom. No. And yet I don't want to... I really... I always have... I'm 57, and I have to keep myself in check in terms of... Am I the guy on the flat, the second floor flat, yelling, get off my lawn and turn your music down, it's noise. And I, and I talk about that and I feel like, am I that guy? Because I don't want to be that guy. Not in Chicago, he gets shot. Right? And then, right, right, right. Get him. Get him. Don't. 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 My New Yorker died immediately. Honking and get out of the way. The first time somebody goes, they could have a gun. There's a lot of murders going on here. Oh, oh, we we are past our murder rate for the entire year last year already. That feels like when, when I'm at because I do Weight Watchers and I get thirty slush and fun points a week. We're and done. I'm, and We're done tu- for this week. Right, exactly, exactly. Because if it's Tuesday, which is when I check in, and I get new points, and then Wednesday I go for a pizza, and it's done. When so I that's the myself, murder equivalent it, of that. And when I think to myself, only twelve people died today, and that's good. Like, like that would be a mass shooting under any other circumstances. Right. I can't. Right. I don't know what's happening. I'm really scared. I'm not scared. I'm just going. Oh my God. What's, well, in this I'm last in this last year or two, you had that NRA push for everyone to have guns and concealed carry, and now mm. we have all these signs up all over Chicago, like right. "Don't bring your gun in here," right? Which isn't exactly like confidence. No. Boosting. Like to say, oh, you know why I like that restaurant. You can't bring you your can't gun. Bring your gun in you know there. why I like that restaurant? You can bring your gun in there. <laughs> you can bring your gun in there. But I'm also scared about not scared. Oh, I don't know how to, what to call it. With you know, Trump nailed it today, <sighs> and he is he is not presumptive anymore. He is the presidential nominee mm-hmm. from the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And I look at that and I'm thinking, what's happening? Like what's happening? What's happening? One of the girls from Pussy Riot said we laughed at Putin too, and he ended up. Our president. Right. And, like, we laughed our way into, like, idiocracy, right? We've been bandying that around. We're doing it. Right. We also talked ourselves into the movie Network. One of my favorites. I love it. Where you go, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. But all that satire is not satire anymore. No. Mm Mm-mm. And when, when Bush, when George W., became Chauncey Gardner from being there, I was like, well, at least we got that out of the way. That'll never happen again. But now it's a very different situation. Well, it was almost the same thing. They thought he'd, <clears throat> I think they thought he'd be a puppet. Like like Reagan did everything. Bush was a little too stupid to do that. Right. Like he wouldn't even listen to his father. No. And then all of a sudden, I think they thought that any of those, like Cruz's, Rubio's, would be like the next... One puppet. of these, right? And then you had like a loudmouth cartoon, like an actual puppet, a car- not a puppet, a cartoon character, right? Like an actual cartoon character walk onto the scene, and everyone went, oh. "Look at his ferocity!" Right, his right, his misplaced, his ferocity, undirected her ferocity, right? As in ferocious, yes, yes, right. And he he's mouthing the way that I feel, and I want to go. Let's look at how you feel. Well, Bernie's saying what I feel, too. Right. Right. If she said the things that he said, we'd have a perfect candidate. Right. Right. 
and if bubble I, gums were chicken we'd all ha- right. what is that phrase well like There's I a, think weird people become actors I think the wrong people become politicians and that is as the daughter of two elected officials <laughs> um, and what was it like growing up like when, when your the, grades end up in the newspaper and like weird shit like when paint bombs and gunshots go off outside of your house and what were the what were the what were the uh, I was a kid. what offices did they hold my mother was controller like a, a woman running bookkeeper for the largest incorporated town in New York and my father was uh, commissioner of the highway department and people felt like they she deserved to die she was a democrat die. and he was a republican so already oh, that was a thing they were both very high level on both of their sides and uh, it was in our house it was vote issue not party Right. and both parties wanted it party can you it's do fantastic. that now? I was I was so political as a kid, voting uh-huh. Democrat, uh, delegate for the Young Democrats. Mm-hmm. I went to the one here in Chicago as a voting delegate. What year? Oh God, ninety six. Uh huh. Ninety eight. Mm hmm. Ninety six. Ninety six. Ninety six. Mm hmm. As a voting delegate. Uh huh. Awesome. And I I even voted for Hillary. Mm hmm. Oh. At, via absentee because uh-huh. I really wanted her to be senator, congresswoman, whatever. In New York, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Right. And right now, I don't know. I it's when I get on stage, uh, when I'm in, when I'm, so I'm teaching somebody in class. I don't care what their political agenda is. Mm-mm. I don't care. It doesn't. It, it doesn't affect me. But when I start seeing things online, like there's a guy that was at the annoyance. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then he went off. You know what I'm He's talking about? Insane. He's, He's insane. He's an insane person. He's an insane person, yes. right? He is an insane person. Yes. But when you're on stage with him, when you would be on stage with him, he wasn't an insane person. Or maybe he was an insane person. Well, who the fuck knows? Right. You know, right. who knows? But... I mean, your reference level is your reference level, and your point of view is your point of view. In fact, I find we move in such a liberal circle that finding a true conservative Republican is like a unicorn. And I want to honor them and not crap on them. I can disagree with them. But I, I, you know, and I certainly won't propagate, and I certainly won't engage in discourse because I can't change their opinion. No. I'm interested in listening to it. Right. But when it becomes belligerent, when I disagree, I become wrong, right? I think that, and like, and he has been known to be like threatening. Yes. Which I don't understand. And personal. Fucking personal. Like actually, literally personal. Very personal. Yes. And very, very personal. Which and is I why know- I'm not on Facebook. What's that? Facebook can burn itself down. I'm not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to see that vitriol. It's so... It's such vitriol. And and when... And, I, and it's I, imaginary. It's not... Hashtag activism is not real. Like, does he actually vote? Does he volunteer in soup kitchens? Right. Does he fucking actually care? Right. Right. When all this women's stuff was going on... When all this women were like no longer tolerating casual sexism and you know like all of that stuff. Like recently in the past year. People would come to me and be like what should I do and I'm tweeting in my articles I'm like why don't you go volunteer in a women's shelter? Mm -hmm. Like you really want to do something? You really want to do something? Go and actually fucking do something. Right. 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 Don't I do something or E do something. No, it's not real. It it's seems not real. real because of all that consume and thought, but it's not. That's it's, why I work with vets. I don't post about how everyone should support vets. I work on Wednesday nights with a group of vets doing improv. Right. It's the only skill I have that maybe could help a little. Maybe? Oh my God, watching them open up 
But it's not maybe. It is happening. Well, I don't want to be presumptive. Well, why not? I hope I'm helping. Fuck hope. It's one of my... Like, I look at that word hope and I go, it's such a victim word because you are doing something. You are doing something, and I and I'm thrilled to be doing it. And that's it. And you give your you give yourself you give yourself permission to go. There is something going on because if you don't, you're not acknowledging mm-hmm. what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you're not being in the moment with it because these guys didn't start out trusting you. You knew how the fuck to do it so that one day they went, they turned, they turned, they twisted, they turned. A light went on, and you saw it. And when you did, you went, fuck, I got him, or I got her, or whatever it's going to be. Not to mention, let me get a little deep now, that they rehearsed at a, um, at a American Legion base. And they're these young kids, base super diverse. Hall? Uh, hall. Okay. Call it the base. I, mean, I don't know what base, you know, okay, go ahead. Um, and uh, so they're this young, really diverse group of kids, including women. And when they show up on Wednesday night for rehearsal, it's the officers' meeting. So the old guard is there, too. And the base commander is like, it's like, you know, this place is alive again. And everybody's sharing stories. And I'm sitting there, and my Grinch heart is growing. And I'm like, this is like, I'm so lucky to be here. Right? You're in service. I, and for a comedian, like, well, like I said, I did a USO tour for Second City. There is no greater way to serve as a fucking comedian regardless of how you feel about the military-industrial that complex. Like, that's right? not part of it. Thank you. Because the military-industrial complex is this large thing that is based on, that is built on human beings serving. To do show, to be in service to the kids who are serving, it was, like, it was life-changing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's life-changing. Mm-hmm. And but those are my parents, elected officials. I volunteered. I worked in soup kitchens. I very much believe in the improper social change spolen thing, even if we're doing straight scene work or dramatic scene work or writing farce. I, I, I think funny and, and something else. Right. Um, I, I watch, and I'm sure you get this, I'm sure you get this numerous times a year, someone just sending you a message saying, you've changed my life. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and again, I'm not, I'm not fishing here, Rachel. I'm not fishing. I'm just saying, it happens. And, and when it happens, and when it, it happens, me. when it happens, a little piece of me goes, thank God. And I'm not a religious person either. And when it does, and then I immediately forward it to my boss. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> I send it to Matt Hubdy, uh-huh. and I go, look, we're, we're doing it. We are changing lives. Is there a question? Does he have a question about it? I don't think he has a question about it. It started as a bit. I got feedback after a workshop that was like, you changed my life, and I sent it to him. And now any time I get one, I send it to him. I love it so much. I just love it so much because it was a realization. And then that person's going to go change somebody's life, and that person's going to change. It's like the, like the best kind of fight, like fight, like changing the like revolution through art, right? Do, right. Like, like subverting the world through our art I, I always feel that the work that we do at Second City and I always call it we even though I don't work there anymore oh it's the always that, we I know I know once they get you in um, the work that we do at Second City and the work that we do at The Annoyance even though I'm not there um, I still is, say we about I.O. and I'm not there anymore and, and that too mm-hmm. all of that is subversive it's all fucking subversive yes and the yes. subversiveness and, and I don't do certain other 
companies, like there's a couple other companies that I just don't do mm-hmm. because I, I feel like um, I don't know that they're subversive. I think that their end game is the laugh. Satire is meant to be subversive, and while certainly we hone it to be laughable for the main stage, I think that in the classrooms we're empowering students to like tear at life, like rip, you know, right? The definition of satire is not only to expose folly, hypocrisy, pedantry, bigotry, idolatry, but to fucking change it, right? And yes, you could argue that theater is a vehicle of change. We want them to suspend their disbelief. But from our founders to now, we still believe we want our audiences leaving thinking differently. Right. When I was at I.O., Dell thought that too. Dell wanted a truth at the end of the piece. Right. And certainly that has become a little more about funny show. And the annoyance was always trying to shit on everything. I know. The annoyance was literally trying to get the audience to fucking, like, gag. Right. Right? Choke on George Bush is a great man. Oh, my God. One of the right. best shows I ever saw at that fucking place. Right. And you got you have to give people the permission. I mean, I love comedy sports. I love short form. I love... I, and I think that... Short form lets you show off, and you can see, secretly be smart and political in short form, but it's not the express goal. But now what? It's not the express goal. No. 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 At, right. At the core, at the foundation of all this is do, is trust. Mm-hmm. Is trust. Just to know that your heart is telling you exactly what the fuck to do. Just to know that that passion, that drive that you have is is legitimate, necessary, yes. and needs to be both engaged in and expressed. You need to open up your fucking mouth and say what the fuck it is that you're feeling and to hell with anybody else. And I've said this before, and I can't say it enough, what other people think of me is none of my fucking business and how awesome that is. To, when you when you have that day and you wake up and you go, I know what that means now. I know what that feels like. I even got a trick for people who don't know who they are. Say that one more time. I even have a trick for people who don't know who they are, mm-hmm. right? We're along in this journey. We have a point and we know who we are. A young improviser, Dell used to tell us that an audience, an, an audience is never going to go, that guy's a piece of shit. They're going to go, that character is a piece of shit. So I, as a coming to this through acting, was like, it's my character they hate, not me. Right. I never cared anything about me being my primary source of creation. The audience doesn't know that. Right. They go, that character's a piece of shit, not she's a racist. Right. So as a character improviser, like I, I, I feel wholly free to say whatever the fuck I want. Right. Um, I was doing a show with... Thank you so much. I was doing a show with Rachel Hamilton. I love her. Don't you fucking love her mm-hmm. so much? So I'm doing a show with Rachel Hamilton in... San Francisco at the Improv Fest there, which you've d- just did. I was did. sick and I missed it. Oh, that's right. And then Rachel Hamilton had to work Filled with Susan. Su- with Ooh, Susan, yes. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, so at the beginning of the scene, so the scene starts out and I just turn to Rachel and go, why would you call me a kike? Like that's the beginning of the scene. Why would you call me a kike? And she's like, because you are you're a kike. You just uh, gave no, her no, permission no, no, to be no. an asshole. I said, right. Uh-huh. I said, no. She said, because you are. Because <laughs> you are. And she goes, because you are. <laughs> After the show, an old man rushes up to her and said, why would you call him a kike? <laughs> oh, I didn't, sir. <laughs> I actually didn't. <laughs> did not. It's like, how would you live like, I, sir, I did not. I did not. There's I nearly thing. yes-handed his gift. <laughs> um, and there's a woman who... <laughs> it's so funny. There's a woman who is online 
um, and I know her from New York. And uh, Laura and I call her Eeyore. She's just an Eeyore. And Laura has this voice like, oh, my parents are dead. Um, so she said, I auditioned for my first movie, and um, it was really fun, but I unfortunately have to play a creep. And I'm gone. And then I listed. Typecasting. I listed all these people, all these women that have played creeps. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, yeah, Barbara Stanwyck. Let's play a creep. Creep has oh, all the funny lines. Play. That's the one you remember. That's the one you want to yes. play. Yes. And it's not you up there. Uh-huh. And that's why leave your fucking ego outside. Leave yourself, your history, your 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 religion. Bring your spirituality into it. Bring your connectedness into it. But I don't give a fuck who the fuck you are. Maybe it's a function of my, my major was Shakespeare. And then I... Did a lot of musical theater, played uh-huh. with Baby Wants Candy, and right. you're not always going to be the lead on Baby Wants Candy. No. And certainly in Shakespeare, there's a guy who comes in who says the most important thing, and it's his only two lines. So I passionately believe, and I don't think it's naive to say this, I think it's real. Like, I think if you do good work, good things will happen for you. I don't think it's naive to say that. I truly think there are no small roles. Right. Philip, he seemed, I truly do. I, uh, uh, Philip, no, no, I was John C. Riley was on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and I might have mentioned it before. So she's interviewing him, and he said, she says, "Oh, that show, the, the, the True West, it was, it was in the middle of doing I True West. It. Oh, you saw it with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's so I could see him oh. do both. Uh, right? When you see the first one, you're like, there's no way they could switch, and then you see the second one, and you're like, oh, right, they're phenomenal right. fucking actors. Right. She interviewed John C. Riley, and he, she said. You. This is your first. Say this is your first major part mm-hmm. in a show, and he goes, "Oh no, no, no! They're all major parts. Every play that I play, the play is about my character. Yes. You're just seeing the yes. other side yes. of yes. it." Yes. Oh, I love him. Me too. And the other one, the one who died, Philip Seymour Hoffman, gave me my other favorite thing: that even if you know you're not right for the part, even if it's the worst part ever, even if it's the a terrible audition, like you show. You show up and show them that even though you're not right for this, you can be worked with. Oh, my God. Right? I like, just got chills. Right? I, so I auditioned for Jill Soloway's new show oh, yeah. on Amazon. Yes, I auditioned yes. for it. And I don't go on many auditions because I'm on the road too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on the road and I don't focus on it. It doesn't matter. So I come in and think, I am going to do the part for them at that time, and I'm going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And I walk out, and I do it, and I'm connecting with people, not thinking about the outcome. And I walk out, I get in my car, I call Laura, I said it really went well, and let it go. Mm-hmm. That was two and a half months ago. Last week I get an email from Jill saying, we cast somebody else, but my God, I love watching you. There you and go. I went, right down the yeah. line, you get another thing. And here's another thing. Uh-huh. Uh, in my mind, I'm not thinking, well, then maybe you'll cast me in the next thing. Because it fucking doesn't matter. Somebody said to me once, I don't remember who said it, and I really wish I could because it's a brilliant line. When you audition for something and don't get it, you didn't lose anything you didn't already not have. You didn't lose anything you didn't already not have. Right? right. It's when right. you have the Emmy and the apartment in Manhattan. It's when you're like, this is going to change my life that you're fucked. Right. But if you're like, this will be great. Right? I'll right. go in here and I'll do my thing. And then you're like, whatever. Right. You're, like, your life is going to be better. Right, at that moment. Even if you don't get the part. Right, exactly. Right. And getting the part is just another thing. That mm-hmm. having done it is 
what happened. Yes. That's what happened. You did it. And there's no getting around it. Poor Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh my God. Heavy burden, man. Heavy burden. And to look at somebody like that and... I was... I gotta tell you, I was... Farley had it too. Heavy burden. Thank God Bill Murray found a coping mechanism. I got... My God... I, I was angry at Robin Williams. Oh my God, I was so angry. He, that man literally had a support network around him. Absolutely. Like everyone trying to help him, and right. it was still too heavy. And he was also able to voice things yep. by saying things like, so smart we all live in a, you know, have your own voice and live all that. And too going, heavy. Fuck you. Too heavy. Right. And yes, it's tragic and all that, but I get to be, well, I get to have my reaction Right, to if we can become others focused. But I get, to be my, I, yes. I get to have my reaction. Oh, absolutely. And my reaction is this, I'm mad. And then I go through it. I'm not mad any longer. Anger but at that moment, right, exactly. depression and acceptance. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and to look at it and say, this is what happened. And I got angry because, and then whenever I saw somebody quoting something that he said, I'm like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, but you didn't do that. Did you, Robert? <laughs> you fucking didn't do that. Uh, Hanging from the ceiling fan or whatever the fuck it was. Ugh. Ugh. Well, he was off the wagon. He had freshly diagnosed with MS. Here you right? go. Right. Or Parkinson's again, it or doesn't matter. No. Though, because here's here's another thing. He gets to do what the fuck he wants to do with his life. He gets to do that. And the how or the why, the forensics of where you are in your life don't matter. Prince almost dies, throws a dance party, and then dies. <laughs> right. That's the way to do he it. He really was like... Right. Like party. Well, he told us he was going to do it, right? He told us, right? I'm going to dance my life away. He right. told us, right? And well, it's interesting because you go, "Whoa, that happened. That's shocking." And then you look at saying, "How else could he have gone?" You know, doddering in a chair. Never. No. No. He was destined not to dodder. Absolutely. I mean, look, look at David Bowie. Look what David Bowie pulled off. Right. Death with dignity at his level of fame. Exactly. How did he even... Do, and made art about it. Right. Like his own lemonade about dying. Right. Right. I have a... My husband and I have disagreements about Beyonce's lemonade. He's of the school when she just leave him. And I'm of the school of she's making lemonade. She turned but a breakup thing. into a billion dollar album. I don't know that that's what her motivation was. I think she, for me, I look at that and I think, I don't know. she's going through what she's going through. How do you, I mean, as somebody He's was, making an album in response. It's all to sell records. But it's not about the money. Do they need more money? Always. The rich always want more money. Are you kidding me? They're not even rich compared to rich people. Right? There are tech billionaires. They're, the person who owns a Walmart can shit them. Right. Do you... I don't... Well, you've got a family, and you've got a child and who you want to set up. I look at the amount of money that I think that I get and feel like, oh, I love it. Uh, you know, I make enough money. I make mm-hmm. not just enough money. I make money. Mm-hmm. And is it important for me to up my income by triple? And I go, it's not, for me, right now, I get to be happy with the amount of money that I'm making right now. And and to chase that fucking thing just seems so um, outside of my passion and that I don't know how to do it. More, more money, more, more problems. <laughs> I, I believe that. And I also think, yeah, I don't. My husband is a stay-at-home dad. 
and I am I do what we do and I support both of them and an apartment and a child right like I'm astounded that I make a living in the arts period like I can I support a family on what we make right I feel thrilled to be able to do that my brother's a tattoo artist and my sister does arts therapy my parents have three kids making a living in the arts right and this is what I realized the other day is I was thinking it just hit me I was thinking God, what if this doesn't work out? And I go, what? I'm 57. I've been doing only this for... I think it's worked out. I'm right, I know. <laughs> to give yourself the permission to go, I think it's worked out, Dave. Susan I've been doing has this. 10 years on me. So I look at her and I'm like, oh, I'm good. Right? Say look that one at, more time. Susan has 10 years on me. Uh-huh. So when I look at her, I'm like, oh, I'm good. Like, right. Like, she's going, I'm going. Right. Wherever she goes, I'm going. Right. Right. Yeah. And to stop every once in a while and say, I think, I've, I think I'm doing what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> right? Right? When are we going to feel like grown-ups then? Exactly. Exactly. That's probably why we're doing well. We don't feel like grown-ups. Because uh, I don't look at that. Or I do look at people and, I, and I, you, know, you get on an airplane with all these families that have nine, you know, four kids. And you go, oh, for fuck's sake. You guys are grown-ups. No, they just look old. <laughs> They're still young. <laughs> I, I was just talking about they they look right. They look it's old. It's like, you know, when you're president, it ages you. When you're a parent, it ages you. Right. But I'm not seeing you look aged. I only have one child, and I suck the lifeblood of young improvisers <laughs> to stay young. It's sort of like when uh, I'm young... I'm also a greasy Italian, so... <laughs> I'm 42. I'm not that young. Yeah, but still, I look at you and I feel like, oh, the picture that I have of you, say, 10 years ago, is I was a picture. A kid. That I right, but it's essentially the same picture that I have of you. It matches. Like you, I wouldn't. You go, don't age either. What are you talking about? But we you both get have hotter this, with age. Oh, stop it. Um, <laughs> I I look at all. I also look at Susan. Oh you know, God. I look at Susan and I feel like she's my hero. She. She's a superhero. Is, she's a superhero. She's a superhero. She's one of these people like Alexandra Billings, who I look at and I feel like she is a fucking superhero. I exposed my son to her. Um, her uh, snap her vines or whatever she does the ones where you know she's like singing to Mariah Carey right. and then bites the a hamburger right. <laughs> she is a superstar in our house my son thinks she's amazing she is and, she, I, and I look at her I feel like I cannot believe that you're my friend and all the stuff that she does in her life and she still has time to like fart out a silly video during oh. the day <laughs> when I get a, when I get a text from her we have this bit <laughs> right <laughs> oh my god oh. right when I get a text from her, <laughs> I feel like... David Miner texts me, I'm like, oh, oh, oh my God. Right, right, right. I feel like, oh, that's my friend. <laughs> or to see her wherever the fuck she's going on her journey. Some amazing dress for some award ceremony. Absolutely. Oh, she's a fucking diva. Ugh. A goddamn diva. And and people who you feel like everyone has someone in their life that if they take a moment right now to think about... Who in my life is a is a national treasure? Who in my life is a national fucking treasure? And those people, Susan's a national treasure. Alex is a national treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, like just looking at those people who are mm-hmm. national fucking treasures. Mm-hmm. Mick. Mick is a national. He hates treasure. it, but he is. Sorry, Mick. Right. He's a national treasure. <laughs> Jennifer is a national treasure. Hell yes. She puts up with Mick. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Jennifer Esla, national motherfucking treasure. And and and. <laughs> We don't, these people don't need to be Catherine Hepburn. It could just be my grandmother is a fucking national treasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that becoming others focused and gratitude, it keeps us moving forward. It keeps them, like, for as mythologized as Dell has become, I try to keep, like, the good part of what he did alive. Say that, start that again. And that Dell gets really uh-huh. sort of, like, mythologized. Yes, yes. And for good and bad reasons. And I try and keep the very simple, like, the, tre- the, tre- the parts that should be treasured, I try to keep alive. Right. Um, I was afraid when I left I.O. that they wouldn't need him anymore, and the I.O. didn't need him, and that the UCB doesn't need him. Well, the UCB has him. Right. But Second City didn't need him. No. And then I wanted, there were tenants of the art form that wouldn't be what they are without him. Clearly. And now the people who are alive, <clears throat> I like that, I feel like it's an important like chain. <laughs> to recognize you know. that where that... To recognize the thread that keeps that together. Kelly Leonard said, "Like we're Second City is an aging company now. Like you know, we're like remember what it was like to lose Bernie and Joyce and like that. Like Bernie Sons, Joyce Sloan, and then Harold Ramis, like all in a row. Like it was like, oh no, we have to. Sheldon, and then, and then losing Jason Chin and Sheldon. Right. Like people actually started going like, I'm hello friend, I miss you, and your life has meaning to mine. And I don't know why it takes losing a national treasure." For that to happen, so ever since then, like I see Tim O'Malley, I'm like, hello, friend. Yes, right, <laughs> right, right. Because I think we we should be grateful, openly grateful to national treasures, and who knows, in the process, we could be cultivating another one. Ooh, great. Let's end there. Aww. You don't want to? I love you. <laughs> okay, I love you too. You're a national treasure. You're a national treasure. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that could have gone on for another hour. And thank you, Rachel Mason. Thank you so much. We've got a little more of Rachel Mason in our segment, Not My Finest Hour, here, uh, <laughs> uh, right here, right here. Uh, but right now, workshop and performance comings and goings for me, moi. June 9th, it's another Rosowski and Clifford show at I.O. West. June 11th and 12th, I'll be in Denver teaching some positive stuff. July 2nd through the 10th, it'll be me in Canberra, Australia for workshops at Improvention. July 15th through 17th, I've got workshops in Christchurch, New Zealand. July 29th through the 31st, it'll be another weekend workshop, this time in Auckland, New Zealand. If you live somewhere, chances are I'll be teaching there. Check it out at davidrozowski.com. ADD Comedy with Dave Rozowski is produced by Laura Parker and me. Like our show? Give us some love on iTunes, won't you? Send questions and comments to dave at addcomedy.com. Now, Rachel Mason in the segment we like to call Not My Finest Hour. I am cooking dinner for my boyfriend and his mother. I'm meeting her for the first time. And I'm Italian, so it's important to me that I cook something very delicious. Right. And it's important to me that I drink at least a bottle of wine while I'm cooking. By yourself. Absolutely. So, you know, cut the tension and help me cook. Right. And I make a killer dinner absolutely killer dinner and then we have another bottle of wine at dinner and then I don't remember anything else until I wake up and go I have to go to the bathroom I'm going to puke and I'm doing one of those like army crawls like why can't I move like I remember get finally making it to the cold tile of the bathroom and I cannot for the life of me open the lid of the toilet and then I hear my boyfriend say what are you doing? I was sitting on his chest, trying to open his face 
and vomit into his mouth. Like, he said he woke up and there was, like, little drool coming out of my mouth. And the shock on my body of realizing I was not in the bathroom, that I had simply crawled on top of my now husband, was the, one of the more at world rocking moments of my life. He throws me off of him. I get onto the floor. I actually go to the bathroom, and I sleep there the rest of the night. The next, the next morning, I wake up, mm-hmm. and my girlfriend Katie calls me and goes, I had so much fun with you last night. What are you talking about? I came over after your mother-in-law left, and we drank another bottle of wine, and we played a game called Nazi or Dolphin, where you would make dolphins and flop onto the couch, and I would smack on your belly. I don't remember any of this. Like, I'm trusting her that this happened. Don't remember anything until my hands were in my husband's mouth. Oh, oh that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Wait, did you say Nazi or dolphin? Yes, I did. Where's the Nazi part? Don't remember. 